God, we'd like to welcome everyone tonight. If you're a guest with us, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us tonight. Amen. If you're watching us on theantioch.com, if it's live to our archive, we welcome you to this service. We thank you for taking time to stop by. We want to give honor tonight. Bishop Wright is not in the country. He's in England. But we give honor to him and we lift him up in prayer for a safe return tomorrow. Amen. And Pastor David Wright, his family are in Baltimore tonight. And so my mother Wright is here to keep an eye on me because everyone left the cookie jar open and I'm left standing. So we give honor to her tonight. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 30? Genesis chapter 30. My prayer tonight is not get myself in trouble, even though I cannot guarantee that. That will be the goal as we start out here. Genesis chapter 30 and verse number 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. If you would keep turning in your Bibles to the right to Genesis chapter 35, we see the fulfillment of Rachel's prophecy in 35 and verse 15. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. It came to pass when she had, was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was into parting, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Praise God. I don't have a title tonight. I might have to give one at the end of this. But we're just going to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost and see where he would like to take us tonight. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. To understand a little bit of the dialogue that we have just read we got to go back just a little bit to find out how we got to this point. Some of you know this, but allow me for a moment to elaborate on how we got to this point with Rachel bearing her two sons, of Joseph and Benjamin. We have to follow back a little bit to find out more of the life of Jacob. The Bible says that Jacob came to a point that uh, he was out one day and he noticed this woman and at sight of her he basically fell in love with her at first sight come to find out uh, she was the daughter of his uncle his mother's brother he was it was it was her daughter and uh, the bible says that when he saw her which is kind of interesting because i'm not exactly sure the bible doesn't really elaborate on that but i'm not really sure how the mechanics of all that works how you can be related to somebody so closely and never really see them. Somewhere along the way at a graduation, birthday party, something, family reunion, 
you thought that they would have seen each other. But somewhere along the line, Joseph is out there. And when he saw Rachel, whether this is the first time or possibly one of the times, for some reason this time, it just hit him who she was. And, it, and he literally, I mean, I can just see him now. And the Bible says that she was uh, a shepherdess. She was out tending the flock of her father. The Bible says that he saw her. And I can just imagine possibly in that moment what that must have been like and what the emotions that must have come into his heart and his mind seeing her. And he's looking at her and, and all of a sudden... Maybe even something begins to click in his head. And she's got a smile so bright. We got to have a little fun tonight. Come on. You know, she could have been a candle. I'm holding you so tight. Don't act like y'all don't know that. Y'all are fooling yourself. The way she swept me off my feet. You know she could have been a broom. You know you smell so sweet. You could have been some perfume. Could have been anything that you wanted to, but I could tell the way you do the things you do. I knew somebody could get me on that. That's pretty. I better stop now. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Somewhere along the line, though, he had this he had this encounter with Rachel, and so he goes to his father, he goes to her father and says, Listen, let's work out an arrangement here. He said, Listen, here's the deal. I'll give you seven years of work, and you don't have to pay me anything, but as a part of my wage at the end of that seven years, give me your daughter in marriage. And so they worked out this agreement, and so Jacob uh, began to work for seven years. At the end of that seven years, he said, Listen, my days are filled. I'm I've fulfilled my end of the contract. Now it's time for you to deliver. And so the Bible says that, 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 that Laban began to scheme a little bit. And so jo Jacob was in, in his tent and, and, and uh, 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 he has this encounter which, wh who he thought was Rachel. But when he woke up the next morning and looked over, he realized it wasn't Rachel after all. It was her older sister, Leah. And some ask, well, how, how can that be? How is that possible but if you understand, at this point in time, there were no wedding ceremonies. A marriage was, 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 was sealed through, through consummation intimacy. And so it was dark. She comes in. She's veiled because the bride would be veiled. And obviously it was dark. And so she comes in. And, and all of a sudden, the consummation takes place. And the marriage is sealed. And he wakes up and he realizes, wait a minute. I, I've married the wrong one. I, I've married this. But can we stop for just a moment and, and look at just the idea uh, of the fact that, that it wasn't just a relationship based on ceremony, but it was a relationship based on intimacy. There was no formal ceremony that says, will you do this and will you take this and I do and you do and let's go together for the rest of our life. But the, the relationship was, was birthed and sealed with intimacy. If we could take that just a little step further tonight and we could look at that in the context of worship because worship is truly to lead us into intimacy. 
allow me just for a moment to detour and let's talk about this for a second because Brother Morgan has been hitting on it and Bishop Wright even talked about it a little bit at Call to War. There's a fresh revelation that's trying to get a hold of us and sweep through this because we've allowed worship to become entertainment. We've, we've made worship into what makes me feel good, what I like and what makes me want to tap my feet and what I prefer and, and what it does for me. And so we sit back and we critique, well, they didn't sound that good or they didn't sing what I like or, you know, if they would have somebody else up there or do that. And we sit back and we've lost the concept of what true worship and praise is supposed to be about. Because worship and praise is not about what you like, but worship and praise is about what he likes. Worship and praise because now modern church has made worship. I'm just going to have to preach for five minutes. Modern church has made worship and praise about entertainment to get you here. But really worship and praise is not about getting you here. Worship and praise is about getting him here. Worship was never designed to make you feel good. Worship was designed to open up our heart so that he can come down and he can make you feel good. So that's why it doesn't matter the style of worship. We may break out a song that says there's a lighthouse on the hillside that overlooks life seas. I thank God for the lighthouse. I owe my life to him. King Jesus is the lighthouse. And from the rocks of sin. That may not be your style. Or we may go a little modern like we sang tonight. I found the love greater than life itself. I found a hope. That may not be your style. But every once in a while, we may have to break it out. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. But rising, he justified and freed me forever. One day, he's coming back. Glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified, freed me forever. One day, he's coming back. Glorious day. But every once in a while, that won't do. It may not even be any words. It may just start way down in your soul. Mm -hmm. oh, 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 oh. Sometimes you even may make up a song. Shandolo burita, ilori sandalo boshi, ye ye ikasa, e shondori basa, ye ye ikaye it's not about the style that makes you feel good but it's about whatever makes him come down from heaven and visit us in this place it may be fast it may be slow it may be offbeat it may be on beat it may be on your key or some other key but whatever gets him in this place is what we've got to do Because if you don't show up, 
we're going to have church. If you don't show up, we're going to keep ticking. Because you've never healed anybody. You've never delivered anybody. You've never set anybody free. You've never saved anybody. So if you don't show up, we'll call you, make sure you're okay, but we're going to keep on taking for Jesus. But if he don't show up, we got a problem. Because when he shows up, then the sick can be healed. Then the bound can be delivered. Then the brokenhearted can be set free. Then the lost can be saved. And he gets here. So we worship. We get a revelation of worship. Because what it truly does. Because worship leads to intimacy. The word worship in the Old Testament, Judah, yada, is the Hebrew word yada. But if you trace back the etymology of the word yada, you find some interesting facts about that word. If you trace back the root of yada, there is an actual word in the etymology of that, of that word is yada. It sounds similar. It's spelled a little differently. But yada and yada, it sounds similar when you say it. But yada, which is praise... And there's the etymology, which is yada. And that yada means Adam knew Eve. Abraham knew Sarah. <laughs> Some of you get it. The root of worship. The foundation from which worship is built upon is to know him in intimacy. So that's why when you get into worshiping in the presence of God, he impregnates you. with purpose he impregnates you with faith he impregnates you with vision that's why when you come it's not about well i don't feel like worship or not i don't just, i don't have the attitude no 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 because when you yada him it's not about clapping your hands a little bit waving your hands a little bit but there's an intimate connection that takes place that can't take place in preaching it can't take place in praying it can't take place in getting prophesied to. But when you get in connection with him in worship. Oh, somebody needs to get a revelation tonight. When you get in connection with him in worship. Adam knew Sarah. Adam knew Eve. Abraham knew Sarah. There is a connection of intimacy. That's why when you get in a worship service. You walk out of here with a bounce. You say, well, I'm just, I'm just emotionally charged. No, honey, you're not emotionally charged. Because I've walked out of plenty of places where the music was good, but I didn't feel emotionally charged. When I walk out of here and I got a bump in my step, that means because I got in the presence of God and he impregnated me. With purpose. He impregnated me with faith. He impregnated me with strength. Yet I am weak. He is strong. That's why a worshiper always has a vision. 
A worshiper always has a dream. A worshiper always knows where he's going. Because you can't tell God who he is without God telling you who you are. And we've allowed the adversary. We off the notes. We're just going to hang off the notes. We've allowed the adversary to, 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 to trick us for the Middleton. And we've made worship cultural. We've made worship trying to, yes, it's a church thing. Oh, that's just what we do when we go to church. No. If all you do is worship when you come to church, you don't even understand what worship is. If all you ever do is dance when the music is playing at church, you've never really truly understood what worship is about. Because, honey, let me tell you, when you're in your living room at home and there's no organ, no drums, and nobody around, but you got a praise getting on you, all of a sudden you realize, hey, this ain't a church thing, it's a Jesus thing. We become so sophisticated. Oh, we don't do that worship thing anymore. I'm a prayer. I've, I've evolved past this simply being a worshiper. I'm now becoming an astute student of the word and a worshiper. When you stop becoming a worshiper, you have just cursed your womb to be barren. When you stop being a worshiper, you have just cursed yourself to have no fruit because worship becomes the ground to impregnate you with the seed. Prayer may be the place where you water the seed, but you've got to get the seed somewhere. And worship becomes the place where he can come down and have intimate connection with you. You know, the other thing that's kind of interesting, I was studying this word out, the other part, there's another part of the, of the root of, of, of worship. If you look down, there's like a list of all kinds of stuff in this root word of what it means. One of the words it means is axle. I'm not much a mechanic. I do know one thing. An axle turns things. It gets things rolling. You can have all the engine you want, all the horsepower you want, but if you don't have an axle, you ain't going anywhere. And you can have all the Holy Ghost you want. You can be shaking with goosebumps on top of goosebumps, and you can float in here on a cloud, but without worship, you ain't going anywhere, honey. But when you get in worship, what would take you 10 years takes God 10 seconds. That's why, forgive me for those of you that heard this before in Arnold several months ago, that's why there's no such thing as a move of God. That's not even correct. We say that, but when you think about it, there's no such thing as a move of God because God is omnipresent. He fills all space and all time. How something that fills everything moves. Because watch, I'm here. Now I'm here. For me to move from there to here, I've got to stop being there to be here. Now I'm here. Because I can only occupy this space. But God is everywhere. 
So when we hear the term, a move of God, it's not God that's moving. It's we've got the axle turning, and so now we're moving. And the more I move around this pulpit, my perspective of this pulpit begins to change based on my movement. And what I couldn't see on that side, I now see on this side. What was veiled to me over there now becomes revealed to me on this side. Because I moved, it didn't move. That's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord. You can't make God bigger. That's not why you magnify him. But magnification makes what you look at different in your eyes because the perception of what you see is bigger. So when I say, oh, magnify the Lord, it doesn't mean that God's somehow getting bigger. It just means what I'm seeing now is getting bigger than what I saw before. Oh, I got to hurry on. We're going to get stuck here all night. So he makes this deal with Laban and they trick him and they send in Leah instead of Rachel because the deal was it was unheard of for the first, for, for, the, for, the, for the second born or whoever was down the lineage to be married before the first one was married. And so he makes a deal with Laban and says, look, I'll work another seven years. I'll give you another seven years if you give me Rachel. So Leah becomes the wife of the law. And Rachel becomes the the wife of love and grace. He marries Leah because he has to. He marries Rachel because he wants to. And this really shows us the two categories of Christians. You got Christians that serve God because they have to. And you got Christians that serve God because they want to. You got Christians that serve God because that's what the law says. But then you've got Christians that go a step further and serve him because they want to. The first time he married was because it had to happen. But the second time he married because he wanted to do it. If you're going to live in the Leia world of Christianity, you're always going to find out, Pastor, Peter, whoever it is, tell me what I have to do. You're always looking for what you have to do. What do I have to do to be, what do I have to do? Because that's the first place we come to. The first part of the relationship with God that we stop over is what we have to do. What must I do to be saved? That's the first question we all ask. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? The first thing we got to we do is we have the fulfillment that is required of us. And here's the deal. Leah had four sons in the first go around. She had two more later. We're not getting into that today. The first four sons she had. Here's their names. The first one she had was Reuben. The second one she had was Simeon. The se- third one she had was Levi. And the fourth was Judah. And when you break it down, you begin to realize this these, these, these four boys represent 
the stages of someone who's serving God because they have to. Because Rubens means who sees the sun or a vision of the sun. If you're serving God because you have to, you'll get a vision every once in a while who he is. Because he'll respond even to your ritualistic faith. He'll still respond. The second thing that happened is Simeon means one who hears or obeys. So you get a vision, but that vision only leads to an obedience cycle. I'm only going to do what I have to do so I can get a little bit in return. I'm only going to do what I need to do because I know if I do this, he'll give me blessing. I'll, I'll give my tithe because I know if I give my tithe, he, he'll give me something back in return. But I really don't want to let it go. You know, if I, I'm going to take the long way around when I march to, because I'm going to hold on to this as long as I have to because I know I got to give it, but I, I really don't want to let it go. And so you get a little bit of glimpse of the sun because you got to see him as on that cross before you're able to step into that covenant. And then you get that understanding of, okay, I get in that obedience cycle and I kind of get in that way of just repeating things. But, but the word Levi, the third one, is, means associated with him. So that means that I, I see a little bit who he is and I obey him, but, but really... It stops with just kind of being associated with him. And the problem with being associated with him, Peter, is when the time comes, you're going to say, no, 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 that wasn't me. You got the wrong guy. Because it was just an association. It was never a relationship. And the fourth child that she bore, the fourth boy, was Judah. Now, we're going to stop there because the Bible says when she had Judah, her womb closed. Gets a little farther. We can get into it later if it allows on the other side of it. But we're focusing there. So, so Judah becomes the, first, the last part of the first lineage of, of Leah. And so we get in that cycle where we have praise. But praise is supposed to lead us somewhere. Because later on, the Bible says that God visited Rachel and she bore two sons. And those two sons were Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph means increase and addition. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. So Joseph becomes the addition when you get into the addition of what God wants to do and Benjamin becomes the authority that you get when you stop serving God because you have to and you start serving God because you want to. If you don't, if you're doing what you've always done because that's what required of you, you never get into the place where you can see the addition of God in your life. You never really truly live a life of blessing. You live a life of survival. You live a life of coming to church and getting enough meal in your jar to go home and make you a few sandwiches to last Monday through Saturday. Come back up and fill it up a little bit to go back and do it all over again. And you live in this cycle of surviving. But when you start serving Him because you want to, and you're willing to go beyond what's required and go into because you want to and you have a love to do it, not simply looking for the easy way out. Then he says, now 
I can open up blessing. Because here's why. And I'm not, I don't even know why I'm getting on this. And I, God forgive me for even getting on this because I know it's a touchy subject, but we're going to talk about it anyway. That's why true tithe doesn't lead to blessing. Because that's only giving back what's required. I know what the Bible says, it rebukes the vow and all that, and there's a portion of that. But really, that's what you have to do. But those who are true givers don't just do what they have to do. Those that are true givers do what they want to do. The most blessed people in this church, if we could stand up and they could testify, I'm not talking about people that scrape by and you could say, well, that's because they got this break and that break. No, no, no. If you talk to them, you can see the hand of God and the provision of God in their life blessing them. It wasn't some accident while they got where they were. They didn't have a good SAT score and got into college and got all this perfect. But God worked it out in their life. If you could talk to them, they'll tell you, listen, I'm a giver, but I don't just do what's required. Oh, I know I'm making somebody mad tonight, but that's okay. I'm not making a man. It's Jesus. So if you want to live a life of the law, you can get some things along with that. But when you start living because you love them, he said, I'm going to open up the windows and pour addition. But more than that, then I'm going to give you some authority to go along with that. Because watch this. Here's what he said, John chapter 14. I'm trying to hurry. John chapter 14, verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in me, believe, also, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go... Go ye know, and the way you know. Now, I know we've used that verse in context with heaven. And there is a portion of that that you can use. But again, you've heard this before. That word mansion does not mean what we think it means in this context. If you want a mansion, honey, you better win the lottery and get it here because you ain't getting it over there. If you think heaven is going to be Beverly Hills lined with palm trees and house after house and you're going to get there to the pearly gates and Peter's going to say, here's the keys to your mansion. I heard one man one time on one of those crazy channels that take your money and give you stuff in return, I don't know what you can call it. He said he had a vision of heaven and we walked into heaven he got a vision. And he was walking and Peter took him to his mansion. It was there and he walked in and he saw everything that he always desired. There was a piano there that he'd always wanted and all this. And I'm thinking, what in the world do you need a piano for in heaven? If you're, a, if you're glorified, why do you need to sleep? Why do I need a bedroom? Why do we need a kitchen? So this idea, this mansion thing that we kind of all got, you know, we sing about, I got a mansion over in glory land. As if we're going to a retirement community, we're all going to sit around and watch the streets. We're going to sit around and share stories about the good old days. Remember them times back in Antioch? Boy, we still made it out of there. Come over and have some tea with me later. I'm going to spruce some things up. 
That word mansion does not mean what we consider. That word mansion refers back to the Hebrew practice as a son was married. The father would add on rooms to the house. So he's saying, in my father's house are many rooms, meaning there is room for as many sons that will come. But he said, if I stay here, I'm limited in what I can do. But if I go and prepare a place that you may be where I am. So not only was the prophetic about where we're going, but it's a prophetic utterance about where we can be. Not simply where we can go when we pass over this life, but it's an offer for you and I to go someplace now. That he's prepared a place, Brother Middleton, for me. Not somewhere over in glory land that I've got to hold on and survive to get to, but he's prepared a place for me here. Right now. That's available to me right here, right now. That goes beyond just simply coming to church. Oh, I feel the spirit of revelation coming on me. That goes beyond simply coming to church because that's what we're supposed to do. But he said, if I stay here, I'm limited. But if you would let me go, that where I am, there you may also be. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. But you can't get to that place if you're living a Leia Christian walk. Because there's got to be some Rachel in you that realizes, listen, you can do what you have to do, but I'm going to do what I want to do. You can come to church and do the minimum, but I'm coming to church because it's what I want to do. You can show up on Sunday and the next Sunday, but I'm showing up every time there's an opportunity because I'm not doing what I have to do. I'm doing what I want to do. And when you do what you want to do because it's a desire, then he says, I'm going to open up a Joseph and a Benjamin. I'm going to give you some addition that where I am. Uh, see, I'm going to give you Joseph an addition, meaning I'm going to build a house connected to my house that you may abide with me. And where I am, there you may also be. That there is an opportunity for everybody in this room. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're in leadership or not in leadership. It doesn't matter if this is your first, first week here or you have been here since the beginning of Antioch. There is an opportunity, everyone in this room, to experience something beyond what we can even imagine. I have not seen. Ear hath not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man the things that God has what prepared for them that love him, but what it's been revealed to us. How? By his spirit. That there's an opportunity that's before everybody in here tonight to be able to step in a realm of relationship that takes you. Beyond just serving. But you're able to step into a place of addition and authority. But you want to get to addition and authority and still live under the minimal requirements of the law. Tell me what I have to do, preacher. Tell me what is required of me to do. But I want God to bless me. I want God to give me authority. But authority and blessing only come out of a desire to go beyond what's simply required. That's 
why when the prophet told the king, smite the ground, and the king only smite the three times, the prophet got mad and said, you've only done what you thought was the minimal. And because you've done the minimal, God can only give you a minimal. But if you would have gone beyond what you thought was required of you and gone beyond that, then God would have been able to expound and add addition upon addition and give you authority over your enemy. But because you only did what was the minimal requirement in your mind, you're going to receive victory, but you're never going to receive authority. And down the line in your lineage, that authority is going to be taken away. But if you would have gone beyond that, I'm going to be bold here in just a moment. I got my iPad on so I can get texts at any time to be corrected. But that's why some of you, your kids struggle because you lived a life of what you had to do. And so you never allowed your victory to pass on to your children because you stopped with only three smites of the ground. I'm not saying that's across the board. Don't get mad at me, parents, and start throwing tomatoes at me. I'm not saying that's across. But there's some of you in here tonight that you only did what you had to do. You only came to church because that's what you had to do. And you never were able to step over to the other side of a relationship. And when you step on the relationship, then God's able to pass your victory to your children. But because the king only did what was required of him in his mind, the prophet said, the victory is going to stop here. The victory can't be passed on. So we find these two, two different sides the relationship. But we move on a little bit. Find the life of Joseph. I found this to be interesting. And this is not where, just, just another stopover. I told someone today, uh, I said today this morning I was preaching the scenic route. And it's like, sometimes I'm preaching like Bishop Wright travels on vacation. When we're on vacation with Bishop Wright, every single, and I don't mean that literally like, a joke. I mean, literally, every single scenic overlook along the way, he is going to stop and are going to take pictures. If it's going to, if it's, if it's, if it's a hundred miles and there's a hundred stops, we're going to stop a hundred times. It may be a hundred of the same thing, but we're going to keep stopping. So I said today that I was preaching like he travels on vacation. We're going to stop and look at things along the way. But I found something interesting. I don't know. If, I, I never saw it before, and, and forgive me if you've seen it. Allow me to catch up. I appreciate your patience with me tonight. Genesis 37, verse 28. Watch this. It's about Joseph. He's in the pit already. Notice this, though, real quick. Who stuck up for Joseph when he was in the pit? Who said to him, let's not kill him. We've got to get him out of here. We're going to sell him. We're not going to kill him. Judah. Look it up. Judah. Praise spoke up. And save Joseph. Watch this. It, you, I, I missed it every time. Then there passed by the Midianites merchant, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the who? Say that word with me one more time. Ishmaelites. I have never, I've read that verse probably a hundred times because I've started the year Bible. Every year, and I always get to Genesis and uh, never finish. So I've read Genesis more than any other book in the Bible, trust me. I have started this every year. I'm like, I'm going to do it this year. And I'm blazing through Genesis. And then 
about numbers, I start losing my steam. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let the Lord lead me this year. I'm not going to do this, this man-made system of numbering. I'm just going to do whatever I feel to do. Praise the Lord. So I've read Genesis a bunch, almost fully through every year. Because I've started that little journey every year. And I've read this verse time after time after time. And when I read it a couple days ago, I saw this. It is like ding, 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 ding. And lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Hold on a minute. Abraham made a mistake and got out of the promise of God and had a child by the handmaiden and it wasn't the promised child and that child became Ishmael. And we talk about the fact now Ishmael has become an enemy and has continued to be the enemy of God's people. But I read this and I said, hold on a minute. This mistake that that, that Abraham made, this mistake, became a nation blessed enough that they could have merchants who traveled. And these merchants that were Ishmaelites became the provision of the plan of God to be unfolded. One man's mistake became another man's salvation. One man's mistake became God's vehicle for his plan to be unfolded. We talk about all the time, what if Abraham wouldn't have made that mistake? What would have happened to Joseph? I know you can see or argue, well, God would have made a way, but, but, but we're talking about the plan of God here. God doesn't just, his plans don't just unfold on a whim here. He doesn't just write the story as he goes along. He knows the end from the beginning. So the mistake that was done by Abraham already became the provision that God was going to use to get Joseph from point A to point B. (laughs) And some of you sitting here tonight And you think your mistakes are what disqualifies you. You think your mistakes have messed you up and you're no longer good. But you don't realize something. Your mistakes. I feel the Holy Ghost. Some of you ain't going to believe it, but there's somebody in here that's about to get it. Your mistake is going to become the vehicle that God's going to use to get you from here. To get you from here to there. And if it wasn't for that mistake, you would have never gotten from here to there. But what he meant for evil, God is going to turn it around for my good.
so don't judge me yet because the story hasn't been written yet because you may look at me and say well it's over you made a mistake but what you don't realize what was supposed to be my downfall became my provision I'm trying to hurry I'm trying to hurry because watch what happens to Joseph notice this every time Joseph was to be moved to a different place something peculiar happened watch what happened the first time God tried to move him from point A to point B his identity was wrapped up into what he was wearing because he was Joseph wearing the coat of many colors the gift of his father but he couldn't stay as the boy with the coat because it was the God's plan to take him to another place so for God to take him to another place God used his brothers to strip him of his identity they took his coat what he identified most with they took that and what seemed like being stripped down was an opportunity for God to give him a new identity because he goes to Egypt and he gets to Potiphar's house and he gets somewhere along the line he picked up a new coat because when it was time for him to move from Potiphar's house to another position God had to send Potiphar's wife along to tear off his coat had to strip him again of his identity because the Bible says when he finally got to Pharaoh's house Pharaoh gave him a new coat that's why when it seems like you're going forward in God, you lose your identity. You begin to wonder, who am I? And I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know what I'm doing. I've lost. A, I used to come and I used to know who I am. I used to have a purpose. I, I feel so lost because God has to strip you of the old identity before he can give you a new identity. And as long as your future is tied up into where you are right now, God can never, never open up. The next chapter of your life. That's why you walk around saying, well, I'm this and I'm that. And this is what I do. And that's what I do. And we become defined by what we do. And for God to move us to another level, he's got to strip us of that position. What seems to be a demotion is not a demotion at all. It's a stripping of an identity because he's about to give you a new identity. And some of you in this place tonight, you feel lost because you feel like your identity has been stripped. You don't know who you are anymore. You come to church, you feel out of place. I don't know who anybody, I don't even feel like I fit. I don't feel like I fit in Antioch anymore. Where am I going? I'm lost. And you think, God, what's going on? Nothing's going on. He just had to strip you of who you used to be so he can make you into who he wants you to be. Because it would look goofy if he'd have just kept putting on coats. Because after a while, if you got that many coats, you forget which one is which. And sometimes, God uses your brother. The person that sits on the same pew as you, that worships alongside of you, God uses that person to strip your identity. It's one thing, Brother Middleton, if he uses my stranger, my neighbor, someone I don't really know. But when I come to church and my own brothers and sisters, the one I worship you with every week, they're the ones that turn against me. 
I can sit and say, what is up with this? But God will use whatever means necessary to strip you, not to expose you, but to elevate you. And so finally he comes, and I'm closing with this. They finally come. The story finally ends up, there's Joseph. And he is now ascended to become second in charge of the affairs of Egypt. And the Bible says that his brothers show up. And in the course of this dialogue, he shows up and uh, he finds out about Benjamin and he calls and tells them to go get Benjamin. They come back and they begin to have this dialogue that goes back and forth. And because his brothers could not perceive who he was, because they didn't know who he was, they were their attitude about themselves were they were beggars in a foreign land. Because they didn't know who he was. They didn't know who they were. Because of their perception of him. It changed the perception of who they were. Because his, his identity was veiled. Their identity was simply that of being a beggar. It's simply that of how can we survive? Why were they beggars? Because they didn't know who they were. Why didn't they know who they were? Because they didn't know who he was. And when they didn't know who he was, they could never see who they were. And as long as the relationship between them and his, their brother was veiled, they could never find their identity. Because true identity comes when relationship goes beyond the veil. Because this is what the Bible says, 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we, everybody say we, we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall what? Appear. We shall be like him. Now this is the key. Why? For we shall see him as he is. So they're sitting there, and their attitude was that of a beggar. Their attitude was that of just trying to survive and not get killed because they couldn't see who he was. Because your position is limited by your perception. Oh, I got to say that again. You missed it right over your head. Your position is limited by your perception. As, as long as you don't see who you are, God can't reveal to you your position. And as long as he stays veiled in your life and you can't see him, if you can't see him, you can't see you. 
because somewhere in the dialogue, he, he began to take off that Egyptian paint that he'd been made up with. He began to lift the veil and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. And when they found out who he was, in one moment, they went from being beggars to having everything they needed. In fact, the Bible says that Pharaoh was so happy he gave them everything they needed. What changed? It changed because they saw who he was. They saw who the one that was sitting on the throne. They found out who he was. Because they finally saw beyond the veil. And as long as your relationship with him stays hindered by the veil of your flesh, you can never see who he is. But when you're able to step beyond your flesh and get beyond the veil, inner court, outer court, holiest of holies, inner court, outer court, holiest of holies, what separates it? The veil. When you step into that, the Bible says in the holiest of holies, there was no source of light. But when the priest stepped behind the veil, there was light. Why? Because he was there. And when you step beyond just doing what's required, and you step beyond that and do what you desire, and you step beyond the veil, then he begins to show you who he is. And when he shows you who he is, you can see who you are. That's why bishops were talked about it called a war. Brother Morgan's alluded to it about sonship. That's why we can't get concept of sonship is because he's veiled. Because we won't go beyond what's required to what's desired. Trish, if you would come. Because watch this. I know this is a little bit of stretch, but let's just stretch for a second. The Bible says that Benjamin is the son of the right hand. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're to sit together with him in heavenly places. If we're sitting together with him, the promises will sit on his which side? Right hand. Watch this. I know this is a stretch. That's okay. We're going to stretch it for a second. Bishop can clean up later. Benjamin is the seed of the right hand. Authority. But judges said that, I think it was 700, I think the number was, 600, 700, somewhere like that. 700 of the Benjamites were left-handed. Curious the fact that those who were called the son of the right hand, 700 of them were left-handed. Now this is just, we Barnes and Narns notes and Thayer's and all that other stuff had their commentary. This is my commentary. Because, brother Skip, come here. You're going to play Jesus for a second when you sit here. I've been called to sit as the son of the right hand. But watch what happens. I'm sitting on the right hand. What hand is available for connection? What hand 
is able to reach out and have relationship. Left hand. I find it interesting. 700 of those men were left-handed. Because if I have my left hand connected with his right hand, the hand that I use to do everything that I know how to do in my ability and my strength and my giftings is now tied up in him. And now everything that I do is based off my weakness because I'm left-handed. And now my other hand is the hand that's free. But when he's weak, when I'm weak, he's strong. So that's why true authority doesn't accentuate your strengths. True authority negates your strengths. Because the farther you get in God and the more authority you get, the more you realize you're weak. Without him, you can do nothing. Because when you truly sit down on the right hand and you grab a hold of him with your left hand and that's your dominant hand, now you know everything that I do has to be through him. If, you, if, if something had in my right hand right now and I had to, had to do everything in my left hand, it would be silly. I, it is terrible. As a joke sometimes, you know, I, I shouldn't tell this story. We need a moment to breathe. My little five-year-old daughter one night had a lot of homework. And she was just maxed out. And there was about, I don't know, about 15 addition problems. Like, you know, two plus two, two plus three. She had to do. And I know this doesn't make me a good parent, so don't judge me. But she was maxed out. And I felt bad. She had been to school from eight to three. And we'd been sitting there for like two hours because she had a lot of work to wake up. Her little brain was maxed. So I said, go ahead, honey, you go. Daddy will make it work okay. So I took the pencil and put it in my left hand. And I just began to draw those numbers because I knew I'm so poor at writing my left hand. My left hand would look like a five-year-old's writing. Sure enough, turned it in. Came back next day with a check mark and a smiley face. Said, good job, Charity. Yes, sir. The problem was the next night she said, Daddy, can you finish this? I'm tired. I'm like, ooh, we better not start this. This is not a good thing. Because that's my weakness. That's the hand that, that doesn't know how to do anything. My right hand, I can do everything. I'm not a great artist, but I could draw a little bit. I can do things. I can do all kinds of stuff. But you do that same thing in my left hand. I can't do anything. But God will negate that. Not to punish you, but because his true authority can flow through you. In all this that we're doing and everything that Brother Morgan's been preaching, Bishop was preaching, Pastor Wright's been preaching, and all the stuff that God's doing. And I'm not saying going to do, he's doing. For us to truly see that fulfilled 100%, we've got to stop doing what's required of us and start doing what is desired in us. Revival doesn't come because you show up at church. I'm thankful for the services that have been taking place. Man, it's been absolutely, I mean this sincerely, it's been awesome. The move of God, the presence of God. But if you think We're going to have revival because we have good church on Sunday. Come on, folks. We're smarter than that. 
God's not going to sell his work at a discount price. There's no sale rack where you can get clearance revival because you don't want to pay the full price. Revival is a premium. Because revival doesn't come to those who want to know what I have to do. Revival comes to those who say, I want to. Because revival leads to what? Harvest. What is harvest? It's addition. Joseph, addition. Joseph, increase. You can't get revival until you get out of a Leah relationship into a Rachel relationship. Where it stops being what is required of you and starts being what you desire to do. Would you stand with me tonight? First Corinthians chapter 13 in the Amplified Bible says this. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But when, but then when the time of perfection comes, we shall see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully just as I have been known, fully known by God. What does that mean? It means as long as I stay in this side, I'm always going to see the reflection of my imperfection. But when I step onto the other side and I look into the reflection, I'm not going to see my face staring back at me. I'm going to see his face staring back at me. No longer is my identity based on where I've come from. But the Bible says that we are justified into righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is his innocence that's robed in me. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, he said that the animal was killed and he made coats to cover them. His righteousness became their identity. And he says, as long as I stay in my imperfections and I allow myself to be judged by my mistakes and my imperfections and what's required of me, I'm only going to see through a glass darkly, dimly, fragmented, blurred, an enigma. But when I step out of that and I can see him face to face, when I look in that mirror, no longer do I see my reflection, but I see his reflection. But you know what's awesome about that? If I'm looking in the mirror and he's reflected back to me, guess what he's seeing when he looks at me? He doesn't see me. He sees him. Because when I see him, that releases the identity for me to step into that righteousness so he can see me reflected by the robe that he's given me. I know we've bounced all over the place tonight. And I don't know necessarily if it's one of those services that need an altar call. Have you come up here for two seconds, say a few prayers and go out and get something to eat. Sometimes I think that does more damage than good. There are times for that, but sometimes I think we, we kind of allow that to be the finished. We say, well, we prayed about it, move on. But I want someone right where you are right now. Just take a moment. I, I know I've been a little while and, and, and I've several times I've tried to stop, but the Lord kept putting things in my spirit right here, right now. Would you just take a moment? 
And can you talk to God and say, God, take me beyond the veil of just doing what's required of me. But God, let there be a hunger and a desire birthed in me. Fresh desire. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Come on, we've done what's required of us. We're doing what's required of us. But for God to do what he wants to do, we've got to go beyond what's required. We've got to get into the stage of intimacy. We've got into that stage that it's not what's required of us, but it's what we want to do. Come on, is there anybody in the place today you say, well, let's lift our hands. But you're not just lifting your hands because that's required. But there's something that says, listen, everybody else is going to stop in five seconds. But I'm going to keep on going. Everybody else is going to quit worshiping. But I'm going to keep on worshiping. Everybody else is going to keep stop praying. But I'm going to keep on praying. Why? Because there is a desire in my heart for greater things. There's a desire in my heart to go beyond this. Can we do that just for a moment? You and Jesus. Come on, there's, there's a call in the spirit. Does anybody want to go beyond the veil? Does anybody want to go beyond the veil? There's a call in the spirit. There's a place prepared for you that where he is, you may also be. Oh, Oh, there's a new and fresh anointing hear the spirit calling you to go walk on through the door for the lord will go before you into a greater power that you never want to walk through that door tonight beyond the open door is a new and fresh anointing hear the spirit calling you to go walk on through the door the lord will go before you into
Hallelujah. Father, I pray tonight that you would birth in all of us a fresh revelation of what you have prepared for us. That there would be a birth in us, God. I know there's so much going on that you doing already, but God, I know there's a call to even greater things. There's a call to even a greater and higher purpose. And Father, I speak now in the name of Jesus that you would loosen this place a fresh, powerful wave of hunger, desire that would move on us, God. That we're not looking for what is the minimum to do, but God, there's a desire in us to go beyond what's simply required your spirit would be able to reveal to us that we can step into the time of addition the place of authority father i speak it in jesus name i speak it in jesus name i speak it in jesus name open our eyes and let us see who we are not by our own strength but god let the veil be rent that we can see who you are and when we see who you are you can show us who we are in the name of jesus in the name of Jesus, we speak it now. In the name of Jesus. Open the eyes of our heart tonight, Father. In Jesus' name. Can we just thank the Lord one more time all over this place? Can we thank Him? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.